All right, so welcome back into the program, everybody. Um, it is Monday. It is January 28th. I am your host, Tassos Kirkos, here on another day, another week at the Alethio Network. We are happy to have you all here. We are going to bounce around all over hockey, a great weekend of hockey. We're going to talk a little Dallas Stars. We're going to talk a little American Hockey League action. Um, we're going to bring on Nathan Scheibe with us in a few minutes. We're going to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets, what's going on there. Seems to be a lot going on in Columbus right now. There's only one game on the on the docket today, so we will um, not talk, talk so much about the uh, the hockey going on tonight, even though there is one game. We'll, we'll set you up for Nashville visiting Ottawa, but uh, before we bring Nathan on, and I wanted to start the program off with this today. Um, first of all, how are you doing, Raven? Doing good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, man. No, of course. Thank you for... Um, Waking up with us on this lovely early morning. It is uh, still got some uh, sleep in my eyes a little bit. Uh, still waking up here, but um, really excited to have Nathan coming on in a little bit. He's a v- really smart guy. He uh, has a great um, overtime proposition, I think, as far as to maybe hopefully try and limit these neutral zone regroups in, in the three-on-three overtime. We'll see about that, and uh, we'll talk a lot about um some of the Pacific Division teams with him and see what his thoughts are in the American Hockey League as well. But I wanted to start the show off today with talking about the Dallas Stars, who have been on fire lately and not getting some of the credit they deserve, I think, as far as what is going on on the ice in Dallas. You have a player breaking out on the back end named Thomas Harley, who, if you haven't heard the name, he scored back-to-back overtime game-winning goals. He's now tied for the NHL lead in overtime winners with three. He is tied with snipers such as Cole Caulfield and Philip Forsberg. And if Dallas is getting themselves a nice option behind Miro Heiskanen in that three spot there on the defense, um, you only love their chances going forward more in the playoffs. I've talked a lot about the last week and a half, Wyatt Johnston and his newfound fit on the top line there with Rupe Hintz and Jason Robertson. They brought Joe Pavelski down to spread the scoring out a little bit, and it's worked flawlessly. Johnston's been brilliant. A lot of people might be saying that Jason Robertson is having a down year. Maybe even by his own admission, he may be having a down year, but he's still over a point-per-game player. He has 50 points in 49 games, and the only thing that he might want to be doing is shooting the puck a little bit more. Um, But Dallas has been uh, very good. Um, The health of Jake Ottinger might be a bit of... uh, cause for concern but he's still getting regular minutes and I think as long as you have Scott Wedgwood healthy and available back there and he's been very solid for them so as long as you have him supplanting Jake Ottinger from time to time and giving him substantial rest because I think that was the problem that we saw once Dallas got to the, the the third round of the playoffs last year that Jake Ottinger was a bit out of steam when they faced Vegas and um, Dallas is building something good. Uh, Joe Pavelski is still scoring. I mentioned him earlier, but they brought him down the lineup. Tyler Sagan still having a really nice season for himself. Jamie Benn is the ultimate depth contributor, I, I, if you even want to call it that. Um, Mason Marchman's having a really good season as well. So a lot of things to like in Dallas. Radic Fox has been one of the league's better penalty killers this season. Um so I, I, I'm a big fan of what's going on in Dallas right now. I will take them to see them in the Eastern Conference Final or the Western Conference Final again. Pardon me. 
Um, I, we'll we'll get to those Edmonton Oilers though, the the pesky Edmonton Oilers, um, and who I think they might be facing in the Western Conference Final. Um, elsewhere, we're gonna move off of Dallas, but uh, Philip Heedle's done for the season. That's a tough blow for the New York Rangers, who um, beat the Ottawa Senators seven to two on Saturday, and. You that was a nice rebound from the Vegas Golden Knights game that they played, but overall you have to think that one this is a big blow for Philip Heedle and in his young career I wish him nothing but the best in getting a full recovery. He was really starting to come into his own as a player, um, finding that niche for himself in the Rangers lineup that was difficult to carve out. One if you were a young player, really trying to find your groove in a deep forward group. That skewed more veteran with the likes of Panarin and Zibanejad and Kreider and the list goes on. And but you you really feel for Filipito. Um, it's reportedly his fifth concussion. Uh, the team did not say that it was concussions that are the reason. They said it was an upper body injury. But uh, one could assume if uh, that's what we're in the business of here. Um, so that that's a tough blow for him, uh, tough blow for the Rangers too. That's a key depth piece. I know they've been playing without him for a majority of the season, but um, I'm sure they would like to have him as part of it. Blake Wheeler has kind of been taking up more of that ice time in Filipino's absence and has been playing pretty well lately too in the Rangers. Uh, I, I never really knew what kind of fit that was going to be with Blake Wheeler in the Rangers lineup. But they've they've made it a seamless one. That's such a good group in there too that you knew that they were going to be able to fit him in and get him the touches as well because Blake Wheeler is a player that needs his puck touch puck touches and um, to even be able to be effective in the ways that Blake Wheeler generally contributes to a hockey game. So um, it's good to see that at least they're able to supplant it. And they, we've seen some call ups on the Rangers too trying to fit in maybe fill in on the fourth line a little bit. Um, there's some talk maybe that they'll try and deal from the blue line depth a little bit to um, maybe augment the forward core a little bit. I think the the team is good on the scoring end of things. You have Panarin leading the charge. Lafreniere really seems to be finding a groove next to Panarin and even away from Panarin and still playing pretty well. Capococco has returned to the lineup and is scoring some goals. Um, so it... it I heard Bleacher Report throw out Keandre Miller's name. I think that that's ludicrous. I think that that's clickbait. Um, if you uh, really, truly believe that they would trade Keandre Miller, he's a, one of my favorite players to watch in the National Hockey League and one of the best young defensemen. I would give that kid an eight times nine tomorrow to play for my hockey club. A team like Chicago, if that were ever available, um, should jump on the opportunity to acquire a player like that. Um, but... Um, so the Rangers will we'll wish, we'll wish the best to Filipino, but um, moving on, we'll, uh, we're, we're going to bring on Nathan in about a few minutes here. Um, going to call him on. Um, but I wanted to mention a couple of things. One, Metro Division, we'll stick there for a second. Lars Eller scoring in his thousandth game, game was pretty great. Um, the pass from Sid on the tying goal when the Penguins beat the Canadians, so that was sick too. Um Sidney Crosby is tied for fourth and even strength goals in the league currently. And he is six and five on five points at 40. So, I mean, the the idea that Sidney Crosby is finished is not even true. I think a lot of people would, nobody would even really say that. But 
I think it's time to consider Sidney Crosby more for a Hart Trophy scoring. He's on pace to score just about 50 goals, which he's only done, I think, once in his career. Um, the fact that he's able to do this, it's only further cementing himself as a legacy player of all time in this league, maybe even a Mount Rushmore player. Um, but uh, it, the losing in Pittsburgh is getting tough. I know they beat the Canadians on Saturday, and that was a big win for the team. Marcus Pedersen getting the overtime winner. Um and we'll see how they go from here. But you have this whole Jake Gensel thing that's kind of uh, taken a bit of a storm on the internet and around the league and among pundits. And um, I, I don't think that Sidney Crosby probably loves having his winger bandied about in the media. That's probably not his favorite thing, even though Sid's a pretty quiet person and wouldn't probably say as much anyways. Um, you know that the team, the, the fact that the team isn't winning as many games as he would like is probably wearing on him more than anyone else in that locker room as well. Um, so you just kind of feel for the guy and marvel at what he's able to do a bit more so than you would really think about. Um, but it's just so impressive. I think we've just become accustomed to seeing Sidney Crosby atop the leaderboard dominating. Even in a lot of cases with Connor McDavid, he's rocketing up the, the NHL standings or the, the NHL scoring race right now as the Oilers push up the standings, um, winning 16 in a row. But we're, we're just so used to seeing these guys at the top that you don't really take a second to marvel at just how they get there and what they're doing to maintain being there for so long. Um, so uh, really cool uh, moment with Pittsburgh. They, I saw all the players copied Lars Eller's warm-up before the game, too. That was a pretty funny video. Um, so... Hopefully the Penguins can string together some more wins. I would like to make them as a playoff team. I think we're going to talk a little bit with Nathan about the mushy middle of the NHL. And there there are opportunities for some of these teams to separate themselves from that pack and assert themselves a bit more into a playoff spot. Pittsburgh could do that. I, they definitely have the guns to be able to do it. It's just about putting it all together, maintaining a bit of consistency to it. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, mentioning Vancouver, too, a little bit. Good for Brock Besser hitting 30 goals. For the first time in his career, he had a hat trick on Saturday um, as Vancouver came back from down three in the third period to beat the Columbus Blue Jackets in overtime. Besser also had an assist on Elias Pettersson's game-winning goal in overtime. He now has nine game-winning goals, league-leading, by the way, um, tied with Sam Reinhart. And um, just really, really impressive. Looked like the Vancouver Canucks were dead in the water there for a second, and they sparked some life into the team. Pettersson's... Elias Patterson is one of those players that I don't know if we even know how good he could be. Um, I know he's eighth in NHL scoring right now and doing everything that he's been doing this season. It's kind of hard to ignore, plus the fact that he's an RFA again at the end of the season and um, could just accept a qualifying offer and create a bit of a stir. Um, he's just dominant, and I the physicality part of it more is what's standing out for Pedersen with me the fact that he is um imposing his will on others in a hockey game being able to work his way into positions and get to hard areas that overtime winner on Saturday was scored right in front of the net jamming away at a puck that might not have even crossed the line the first time he tried to put it over um and same thing with Brock Besser too Brock Besser scored a lot of his goals this year right in front of the net which I think is really good um, that that's the best area to score goals. Uh, I know Brock Besser has a high shooting percentage. It's over 20% right now. And I know when we have shooting percentages like that, they always regress down to the mean, but one, I think Brock Besser deserves a season where maybe his PDO is a little bit higher. Um, and 
the I, I think he's going to blow by 45 goals this year, maybe even hit 50. I think that would be awesome. Um, but we shall see. Um, are, we got Nathan on. No, I can get him on right now. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's see if we can we let's see if we can get Nathan on. Really excited to hear this role change that he's got. He wants to lead with it, so um, I bet it's going to be good. Nathan's a really smart cat. Works for the Chicago Wolves. Um, works his tail off too for that organization, and we'll we'll get his thoughts on the AHL too. The AHL played their fifty thousandth game on Saturday when all thirty two teams played. So um, the AHL is a very exciting league. They there's a lot of really, really good hockey players in the American Hockey League right now. You have Maverick Bork and Logan Stankov and obviously battling each other for top in the scoring race there for the Texas Stars. And we were just talking about the Dallas Stars and how deep and good they are on both the front end and the back end. And they have one of the best goaltenders in the world in Jake Ottinger. And on top of that, they have the two leading scorers in the American Hockey League. And they're both really good young players that have not gotten much of any of a shot in the National Hockey League yet. So... Lots of things to be excited about for hockey in Dallas and hockey in Texas in general. Um, and, yeah, the AHL is just a really good league. Obviously worked in it last year. It's um, it's a good – I mean, the hockey's fantastic. I don't know if people really appreciate fully the American Hockey League and um, the level of hockey that exists there, even when you get down to levels like the East Coast Hockey League. It's still a really good hockey league, everybody. Like, you got to – got to be able to skate to play in the east coast hockey league you got to be able to pass the puck shoot the puck um there are guys on nhl deals in the east coast hockey league even so um these these are all very good hockey leagues they are worth talking about they are a part of a lot of the fabrics of the communities that these teams are in all right guys we're gonna take a short break real quick and then we'll be back with nathan all right so we're gonna welcome on nathan shiby now to the program nathan how you doing my man I'm doing well, Tassos. How are you? I'm good, man. It's been a while. I um, appreciate you coming on. Thank you for talking. I knew we ne- we needed to start getting some more people on here. So um, not not many people that I know more that that know more about the game than you. So um, I know you wanted to start off with this this overtime rule idea, and I hope that this idea includes or by effect will limit the amount of neutral zone regroups we see in three on three overtime. Is that what this idea is trying here, you said to maybe push the pace in the three on three a little bit. What's this idea of yours? Yeah. So it, this is exactly what I want to try to eliminate is the, the neutral zone regroup, the the boring ragging the puck around. Cause this idea came up when I was watching a game. I don't know who it was with my dad. They were in overtime and we're like, okay, we need to find a better system to, to make sure the teams are it plays faster. Cause it, it's like, sometimes the teams are skating through mud and it's just back and forth and there's no chances until the very end. So I came up over a few minutes, how to incentivize scoring. Now, step one would be to eliminate the shootout altogether because a lot of teams will employ shootout specialists and they'll just push the game to the shootout. Maybe like their goal, he has a stronger suit in the shootout. And let's just get rid of the shootout in general. No one really enjoys that except for the fans in live attendance. So the next step would be to increase the time from five minutes to 10 minutes. Um, that would get, that would replace basically the time the shootout would take normally. And where the meat of this comes is to incentivize scoring. So if a team was like on a normal format, if you score a goal in overtime, you get two points and the loser gets one. Um, 
Instead, what I propose is that if a team scores, they'll still get the two points. But if no one scores in that 10-minute overtime, neither team gets a point. So effectively, it would, it would just be a tie. And it could go in the overtime loss section or the overtime loss category of the record building and regular overtime loss. This way, teams will have to push their pace. Because let's say they're on a playoff chase and they're down by a point. They need to get and they go to overtime with a team that's right near them in the standings. They're going to need to push that pace in overtime to score that goal. They're not going to want to rag the puck. They're going to want to get as many shots as possible. They might still look for a better shot than just throwing one in from any random angle. But they're going to be more incentivized to get that point because if they can get two points rather than zero, they're going to want to push that pace. And you can still have the loser get a point, but I think it would be more effective if even if they lose in overtime, they get zero points. So I feel both teams would have to really push the pace. Okay, so I love this. I I, I love everything about this. Um, this is a great idea. Um, I have I have a couple pushbacks. One, I think the uh, I don't know that anybody would be opposed to eliminating the shootout, but I think it's going to be a big uh, stick sticking point for both parties, the NHL and the NHLPA, in um, games ending in ties. I don't know that the NHL really wants games ending in ties um, under any circumstances. Um, another part of this that I think might also contribute to it is maybe the NHL considers more of like a three to one point system, right? Like the, the PWHL is trying and IIHF, we've seen it all the time. Um, so maybe if, if you have a three to one or maybe even like a three to O where you don't get any points for, uh, like, a, an overtime loss, um, maybe that would in, incentivize teams to even maybe try and score the goal in regulation, right? Like if we could see games not even go to overtime, that would limit the amount of games that we see in overtime. I've also heard different ideas about um, getting a delay of game penalty for bringing the puck past uh, the red line again after um, like being in the offensive zone. So um, I do like the idea though. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts on, you know, I mean, also I think the 10 minutes of overtime, right? Like if you're, if you're on a back to back and you're traveling, you know, adding on an extra five minutes of hockey is probably not going to, appeal to many of the the teams and even the players probably at the same time though i do think this it feels like what nathan's proposing is a lot more like how european soccer is finished like you know split the 10 minutes into like two smaller periods kind of like how they do in um football and after that like you said if you want to keep the penalties or just do like a best of three just something a little bit quicker to kind of get the pace going but if you can try to phase those out I do think it would just be a lot more fun and a lot more teams would be trying not to go to the last second and go to the shootout but I don't know that's just how that's how I see it and you can even go one further and have like if you could include the three two one where if you score an overtime you get a third point but if it if it goes to the shootout you don't you're only allowed to get two for yeah that would be I I know the because I know the NHL always wants to have a winner, and I, de- I definitely am on the side of that as well. And it's kind of, it kind of is boring to have a tie. And an interesting note: I, I, I was watching a game, and they said that Flurry's the last remaining goal in the NHL to have a tie in his record, which I thought was cool. But that is cool. That's just, a great, that's a great one, Nate. That's just an aside that I, I picked up. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know that. But I think, a lot, like what the PA, the PWHL is doing with the three-two-one. Um, I feel like the, the success of that league might 
it generates some ideas further for overtime in the NHL. Sort of how like the three on three was introduced in the AHL a year before the NHL incorporated it. So I think just maybe maybe some testing in like the ECHL or the AHL or maybe even the I went to the All Star game, but I feel like just like a, t- a test runs of it just to see what the players think. Maybe take a, a poll to see what the players would prefer. Because like even if we do a ten minute overtime, you could also include a commercial break. Um, I'm not sure how much the players would want to do that, but it will give them an extra second to rest and regroup because a lot of the same players are going to be going out. They're not going to – most teams won't roll four lines. Yeah, the bench gets shorter in overtime setting. in three-on-three, three, totally. I yeah, so that, the players the, – the, the, play, the high-end players might not be in favor of playing, I don't know, sometimes maybe even 20 extra shifts depending on how long they are. But, but at the same it's time, definitely, that's where you can kind of get um, these kind of – younger guys and then get those playing times and get them. You don't want to lose a game in overtime. You you're don't, not, you're, you don't, you're not, you're not like, risking that. That's why you say like you put one of those guys out and then like rotate the one guy that's maybe yeah, a maybe. little more energy with some guys that are a little bit better. So you're just getting a little bit more balanced. Yeah, maybe. Cause maybe. like you, we were talking about like fourth line. They're only getting like 10 minutes. Say they get an extra four or five minutes in that end of period. Yeah. yeah. So that's just an idea. Um, and then is you can also you might even have overtime specialists where a player is extremely fast, but in a game setting maybe their defensive awareness isn't at like a Patrice Bergeron level per se. But in an overtime when it's running gun, they would be in favor of that because if their their ice time is reduced, say 11 minutes per like, 60, and then they have five minutes in overtime to just showcase their speed, that might be a great great asset. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I want to do. Uh, Spend a quick second. Have you been watching a lot of the PWHL? Have you been following that league? I know that you're a, a big women's hockey supporter, big women's hockey fan. Um, have you have you caught a whole lot of the PWHL? What what are your thoughts so far on the new league? Well, I've definitely tried to do as much as I can in terms of watching. Um, there's only so much time in the day, and unfortunately, with school, it makes it hard. But I'm 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 doing my best to watch as many games as possible, and I I really like how the league has marketed itself. I mean, there are a couple things that maybe um, it could have done differently. They maybe like introduce a logo at the beginning, but that's it. It's a new league. You, you mean new leagues don't form every other day. Uh, it takes time. I do. I definitely feel like the marketing of it is and pushing it into the limelight has been great. I love seeing the the fans, like the amount of fans. It, I feel like a new record is set every other day. I think 13,000 at the uh, in, in Minnesota game was great. Um, even the physicality that's it's, I wasn't expecting that. And it's been, it's definitely a great addition. And I've, I, I know, I, I remember last year from one of my I final paper I wrote for one of my classes, it was like a 20 something page paper on why the women's league needs to centralize to get all of its best players together. And I feel what the PWHL is doing is fantastic for the game because now instead of having to research what, what team Marie Philippe plays for, you can just, say okay she's in the pwhl where everyone else is playing she's playing against the best players and what this will do for like leagues around the world it's kind of going to create like what the nhl created is just where all the players no matter what their background is where country they're from they can go to one league and have play against the star players and what's what i like best about the what the pwhl is doing it's providing these women with salaries they can live off of because you would see in even I mean, last year or two years ago, a lot of players would have to have different jobs. 
um, to, to support their families. And on top of being a professional athlete, which is insane, it's an insane ask. And a lot of them are moms. I mean, being a, a mom is a part-time job in and of itself. And these people, again, have there's only so much time in the day. So with the PWHL providing salaries that they can live off of just being a professional athlete, I feel that the skill level is, of the league is also going to increase because these athletes can focus all of their time just on hockey and not having to do uh, construction or being a retail manager or whatever occupation they had outside hockey. So I definitely feel like the PWHL is making great strides and it can only be better from here. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier also the we, we talked a little bit about the three two one, but a lot of the rule changes have been really nice to see. Um, we, we've talked a lot about here about the physicality and how surprising it's been. I've definitely noticed, and I think everybody has. You see um, the the Abby Rock and Marie Philly Poulin going at it off the draw, and the the hip check that we saw Marie Philly Poulin on Taylor Heisey that was a huge hit. So. Um, it, it's definitely been great to see, and you're you're right that they everybody needed to get on the same page. And um, I know that some players who came over from the PHF have taken a pay cut, but um, relative to what they might be making now, but um, it, it, it will still, in the long run, make it so the salaries go higher for everybody, um, and, and it is a living wage for everybody right now too. You're right, so. It has been great to see. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep some more eyes on it, and we'll we'll talk about it more too in the future. Um, so, going back to the NHL here, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about the AHL because I know you still work in the AHL, and I love the American Hockey League. I think it's a great league. There's a lot of great players in the American Hockey League, but um, sticking in the National Hockey League for for a bit here, um, there's a lot of teams in in that per se mushy middle of things of the standings. Um, some teams feel like they're maybe backing their way into a wild card spot. Um, others maybe like hang, ba- barely hanging on to a wild card spot. We haven't really seen much of a, a surge or a push from some teams. I know we saw a little bit of a winning streak from Seattle to boost them up the standings, but they've kind of cooled off since then. Obviously, Edmonton's on a uh, 16 game heater right now, but they honestly are, have found have put themselves in a top three spot in the Pacific where they're not even in the wild card spot right now and i don't even anticipate they'll be there the rest of the season um what are your thoughts on that that sort of mushy middle in the nhl right now what teams do you maybe see pushing themselves further into a spot cementing themselves into a good spot in the playoffs or even on the contrary falling out of it well it's good about the 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 mushy middle as we we call it it's it's not not, a lot there's so many teams i think two-thirds of the league they're just not out of it there's only like six maybe seven teams that are completely there's, it's the math doesn't really fall in their favor for playoffs, and we're talking about draft lottery teams. But most of there's so many. I think there's like 12 different teams separated by just three or four points that are on the playoff bubble or on the second wild card. Like the race for the Atlantic, the third spot with Toronto and Tampa and Detroit. It's like they're flipping they're fl- uh, flipping that spot every other game because they're so close. And what's been interesting to see is just a couple teams distance themselves, both on one on the downtrack and one on the upswing in the West. You got the Blues, they just won their fifth straight last night against LA, who, interestingly enough, have won two games in their last, I think, 16. It's really been crazy to see, considering that the LA that they set that road record at the beginning of the year, and the Blues have been kind of middling throughout most of the year, and now all of a sudden they're turning it on. So I think now... I, we might see a little bit more distancing after the all-star break. I feel like teams are kind of hitting that dog day spot where they just want to maybe take a few days rest, get some players back and 
get all that settled. And you mentioned Seattle, how they had a, a eight game win streak and then they lost four in a row. And now they, they won a couple in a row. So we'll, we'll see how that goes as well. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting And in Minnesota and Calgary had identical records a couple days ago until Calgary beat Chicago and then Minnesota lost, uh, to, I think Anaheim, I believe. And there's, but the teams are not really out of it. So I feel like the, in a, come April and March, there's going to be so many more teams playing meaningful games compared to last season. Like even Buffalo, they're they're getting back to 500 or clawing their way back, even though they were they were expected to do a little better than they are now, considering they only finished one point out of the, the playoffs last year. But you have teams like Pittsburgh, Washington. They're all they're just they're floating there. I mean, they they could back themselves into a playoff spot. There are some teams in the top spots that are struggling right now in the East, like the Rangers, the Flyers. Uh, I think the Rangers have a sub 500 record in their last 10. So teams have been fluctuating a lot. I'm interested to see post um, all-star break, how everything shakes out, which teams really want to grab that spot. Like I feel like if the hurricanes had more stable goaltending, like you have Kochekov being injured, Anderson, Ronto wasn't done in the minors. He came back up and they signed Spencer Martin. I wonder if they had really good goaltending, how much better in the standings they would be. They they would probably be in first place. I mean, they're knocking on the door right now, but because their shot suppression is insane. But it's going to be interesting to see how after the All-Star break, how all this shakes down. Yeah, you mentioned some of these teams. I mean, I think the Detroit Red Wings end up um, sticking in that playoff spot. I think that team plays with a lot of swagger and a lot of confidence. Um, that win that they had this weekend was a pretty, pretty convincing one. Who they play? The, the Golden Knights, right? Um, yes. That, that, was, that was a very convincing win. Dylan Larkin's been playing fantastic, too, this year. Um, I think he's really going to push them. Plus that with Alex Dabrinkin in the mix, too. Now they just more... They look like a more well-balanced scoring team. You're able to fill these guys in, guys like Andrew Kopp and um, even some of these other guys, like the younger guys that have been really getting their footing now and showcasing what they can do full-time, like Michael Rasmussen and Joe Valeno. Um, those guys have really been blowing up. So um, I, I hear you there on a lot of these teams. I, I want to stick on Los Angeles for a second. You have Drew Doughty leading the league in time on ice. He's playing over 26 minutes a game. Um, they just recalled Alex Turcott. He played against the Blues yesterday. He didn't really play that whole heck of a lot on the fourth line yesterday. He's still without an NHL point, um, but they brought him up because I know that there's been a little bit of um, discussion about the fourth line and what, what players are going in Los Angeles right now and which ones are not. Um, do you have a, a thought on the Kings and just what's been going on? You mentioned that they've only won two of their last 16, something like that. Um, yeah, I think they're like, Two, eight, and six. They've, they've lost. They've got a lot of loser points um, in, in the overtimes. I mean, there's a lot of players haven't been scoring at their rates that they were early in the season. Like Kopitar only has a few points. I think I know Byfield's cooled off a little bit, but it's been nice to see Byfield um, producing at a great rate, a, a much better rate. And we saw glimpses of that last year, but now the because his his work ethic's always been there, but now we're seeing the results of that. Um, Trevor Moore is kind of broken out a little bit. He's already eclipsed his career high in goals. But I think everyone with the Kings is slowing down a little bit. And you heard those comments made by Doughty that there are players. I forgot the exact quote, so I don't want to misspeak. The, the cookie night one? Yeah, where he, was, he kind of called out some of his teammates. And um, you heard Devon Taves of the Avalanche do that earlier in the year. And then all of a sudden the Avalanche go on a tear. So we'll see. Because I, I love seeing that from Doughty. It's it shows his passion and 
how much he cares about the Kings and how much he cares about the game. Because even at, I think he's what, 34, 35 years old, he's still carrying that defense and shepherding along Mikey Anderson and other defensemen like that. And you have Brand Clark making, um, making his, um, not his debut, but his first few games in the NHL, getting that experience. Um, it's been interesting to see how some of their players have been playing. That's for sure. Um, and even with their goal, no one expected Cam Talbot to come out of the situation he did last year and perform. And it's just been crazy to see their downward spiral from really the top of the Pacific or close to it. I know Vancouver's been up there as well with, with Vegas. They were kind of, those three have been kind of intertwined with the top three and now they're in danger of missing the playoffs altogether. So post all-star break, I will be interested to see and follow how the Kings will fare, especially with the Predators and the Blues knocking on the door, even the Coyotes as well and the Flames. So, I mean, you have all these teams like the Mushy Biddle again, but with the Kings, I kind of hope they, they were like, they were rising with um, in the past couple of years playing against Edmonton in the, in the uh, playoffs. It's, it's definitely, they've been making some rivals again. It's been fun to see how they have progressed, but we'll see how the, the remainder of the season goes for them. So I wanted to switch over and talk about the American Hockey League right now. So you work in the American Hockey League. Uh, you work for the Chicago Wolves, who are one of the premier organizations in the American Hockey League. It, the American Hockey League is a great league. Like I said, it, I can't speak highly enough about the league itself. It's uh, very well run. It's a very old league and has a lot of great history to it. And a lot of really good hockey players are playing in the American Hockey League currently. Um, the AHL just played its 50,000th game on Saturday. Uh, all 32 teams played uh, only the second time in league history that they've done that, and they'll do it again later on in the season. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the American Hockey League later on when we talk about the the David Juracek situation with the Adam Portsline article. But um, do you have a thought on just the American Hockey League in general, one, and, and also maybe just like anything you've noticed this year, maybe some players on the Wolves or – um, players around the league that you've gotten to notice this year that have been standing out. Obviously, you have uh, Stan Coven and um, Maverick Bork leading the charge as far as the scoring race goes. But um, do you just have a few words on the American Hockey League? Yeah, I mean, the American Hockey League is a fantastic league. It's a fantastic developmental league. I mean, we hear a lot of uh, public discourse about how the NHL is not a developmental league. AHL is really the best league for that. And you see a lot of young players that get maybe our first round draft picks, not ready for the NHL. will toil the AHL for a few years, maybe a couple, maybe just a season or two. Like, like you mentioned, Logan Stankoven, Maverick Bork. Um, you have Hendricks LaPierre in Washington. You have Brad Lambert in Winnipeg, who I just, who I just saw yesterday play with against the Wolves. He's looked good. There are a number of players and really just to find their way, like Lucas Reichel, even though the points haven't been there at the NHL this year. Last year, he was a point of game with the Ice Hogs, and he was leading that team. He looked super confident. Um, I, we, when Tucson came to the All-State Arena uh, about a month ago, I was really excited to see Dylan Genther play, but the Coyotes called him up just beforehand. I'm like, oh, well, that sucks. Too bad he wasn't there, and then... Zach Sanford, I was going to say, oh, cool, cool, another NHL player that I haven't seen yet play. And the Hawks claimed him, and the Hawks got him. So it's it's been I, – I really do commend the efforts of all, like, the American League coaches, the general managers, because they have to balance their rosters arguably the most out of all the, the, the leagues in the world because you have injuries that are affecting 
the team both on the ECHL level and the and the NHL level, not to mention the American Hockey League injuries, because let's look at the Blackhawks as a little bit of a case study. They've had so many injuries. They've had a call up almost, I would say, half the Ice Hogs roster that's really affected the Ice Hogs play on the ice because they don't have their normal lineup. And the, the chemistry is changing every single night. The lineups are changing. The power play, penalty kill, everything has to change. And I really commend for the coaches to just on the fly, the general managers have to constantly be monitoring the rosters, seeing who fits in what way. And even the players, because a lot of them, they don't have the job security of an eight-year contract. They don't have the stability to say, okay, I'm going to be here for this year. My family will be here for this year and beyond. They they might not know where they're going to be from week to week. And you, you see a lot of um, trades and moves like every day. And I really do commend everyone who works in the AHL because it's not the easiest league to work in. But that being said, the AHL, like you said, is a fantastic league for development. There are so many different interesting players that are coming up that have been groomed, so to speak, in the American Hockey League. You mentioned Alex Turcotte coming up. We'll see if his time in the AHL will help him. But the AHL is a fantastic league in short. Yeah, it, it really is. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk a little bit about more about the AHL later and some of these players and what some of these teams are looking like. Uh, I, I, one last question, and then we're going to let you go. But um, I, I couldn't hear you bring up the Blackhawks and not have you share a few words about the, the Chicago Blackhawks, the state of the team, your thoughts on it, what, what's going on here, where we are right now with the big club. Well, obviously, there's a lot of attention being brought to Bedard and the injury, but I don't think I, I, I'm not going to talk about that because everyone is um, obviously the injury. I just can't wait to see him come back and have all the players rally around him like they did at the beginning of the season, because let's be honest, he's been fantastic to watch, but I want to shed some light on some of the players that maybe people don't know as much. Um, Jason Dickinson just got a extension. Nick Foligno. I mean, a lot of people know Nick Foligno from his time in Columbus, but those two are essential leaders on this Blackhawks team, and Peter Morazic as well with an extension. They've all been playing fantastic hockey, although the numbers aren't, the counting stats aren't there for anyone really in the Hawks. But they have really helped shepherd the young guys along, and it's only going to be, I feel like, especially in Felino's case, they're, they they want him on for the next couple of years because there's going to be so many more players coming in. Um, that are currently not on the roster. You got Frank Nazer, you got Sam Renzel, you have Oliver Moore, you have um, Drew Camesso, who's playing in Rockford right now. You have so many different players, so many young defensemen. It's important to have those veterans there. And what I feel like the Hawks have done right now is pick out which veterans they want to keep on the team moving forward just to help shepherd them along. Um, It's important to insulate your younger players, especially like, you think back with, with Crosby, the Penguins immediately wanted to find people to play with him so he could adjust to the NHL accordingly. In his rookie season, he was outstanding. But with, with the Hawks, I obviously Bedard's not playing right now, but they brought in Taylor Hall to do that. They brought in Corey Perry, although he's, they terminated his contract. Nick Foligno, among other veterans, they already had Tyler Johnson there. Andreas Athanasi re-signed. But it's important to have those pieces that can help Shepard along. I feel like the Hawks would need to. Jared Tenorti's there on the D, on the blue line. Seth Jones is also there to help, especially in the defense with Kevin Korchinski. You have Nolan Allen. You have Ethan Nelmastro. There's, there's a plethora of, of of high-end picks that are waiting in the wings and developing in the AHL or elsewhere. And it's really important to have those veterans. I feel like Seth Jones, Nick Foligno, Dickinson, Mrazek, 
they have players in each position to help Shepard along. And not to mention Luke Richardson is, is he's really getting the most out of as he can because he's been he's been an outstanding coach. And so I mean the Hawks don't have the flashiest offense or defense because they are still growing. But I'm this might be like the worst season statistically in terms of points for the Hawks moving forward as we hope. And as more players come in, they get older, they start to gel, the Hawks will become a contender again. Hopefully we can get some of those Kings Hawks playoff series, uh, yeah, Kings Hawks playoff series. And then the ducks and the Hawks from back in the day, those series were excellent. And especially with the ducks, they're kind of on the same path as the Hawks are on now. Yeah. And you're, you're definitely right there. Those series were great. Um, Nathan, you're great. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we're going to have you back on as soon as we can. You're fantastic. This was awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Bye. Sounds good. Bye. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. That was Nathan Scheibe, uh, Chicago Wolves staff member. He is phenomenal at what he does. He's just so smart and really plugged into what's going on in hockey in uh, both the National Hockey League and the American Hockey League. Um, you heard him talk a little bit about the American Hockey League there. Um, he is a shining example of what it means to be a part of the American Hockey League, just working your bag off every single day, um, showing up even when it's tough, even when um, you, you might not want to and you don't know what the future is necessarily going to hold. It's not just the, the minor league players that um, – grind through it and exist in that grind even though it is a grind to be a minor league hockey player um it is also the staff members and the ones that make it all happen um when game time comes that uh do work really really hard um so we thank him for coming on we're going to bring him on definitely way more he's he's really good and is looking to get into the space a bit more too so um we thank him for coming on and sharing all he did and also the Hawks, too. Uh, he was talking a lot about the bright future of the Hawks. And there is, I know there, a lot of people are upset about the lack of scoring right now. They got shut out again in Calgary on Saturday night. But um, there there is a lot to like, uh, especially on the back end with some of these prospects that they are going to work to break in. He mentioned Nolan Allen and Ethan Del Mastro. And um, Kevin Korchinski has been getting great looks um, in the league since returning from a leave. And... Um, there, there's a lot to like in Chicago. Uh, Peter Mrazek's been fantastic, like he said, and we've mentioned here on the program before. Um, a lot of these score lines would look a lot worse if it weren't for Peter Mrazek in, in between the pipes for the Hawks. So um, the big news of the day, and we've we've pushed it off this long, which is pretty good, but the big news of the day, I guess you could say, is an, an athletic article that came out yesterday written by Adam Portsline, and he covers the Columbus Blue Jackets, and their top prospect, David Juracek, is reportedly frustrated after being sent down. He's been sent down for the fourth time this season to the Cleveland Monsters of the American Hockey League. And in an inter- in interviewing with Adam Portsline, mentioned the Hawks defenseman Kevin Korczynski as well as Simon Nemich of the New Jersey Devils as guys that he feels are similar to his spot in terms of being an NHL player and the fact that they're getting time on the power play. Um, David Yurchek's played 36 games this season in the National Hockey League. He's only played four in the American Hockey League. He played on Saturday in that uh, 50,000th game, 32 teams, everybody playing ninth. And um, he was on the ice for a power play goal, did not get a point, was a minus one, was able to get some good minutes. 
though, and I think that that's what Columbus wants. We all know it's been a tough season in Columbus. Uh, they lose Adam Fantilli to injury yesterday. That was a tough one, it looked like. I don't really know exactly how he was injured, but it looked like it could have been a cut of some sort. We will uh, wait to see how long Adam Fantilli's out. Hopefully it's not too long at all. Um, but Adam Portsline also does a good job of detailing a bit of what's the adjustment to the NHL has been like for Adam Fantilli. But back to Juracek, he is... Uh, he, he brings up Nemec and Korczynski as guys, like I said, getting time on the power play. And he really, but he's been sheltered in the minutes he's played. He's only played uh, under 15, 14, 47 time on ice for Juracek in the NHL this season. And, um, you know, they have Zakarensky was out for a while, but he's back in the lineup now. Um, you have guys like Provorov there already, Damon Severson, um, but, but two guys that they brought in this offseason. Um and it's been hard for David Juracek to find a place in the lineup. I think in Chicago, you look at Korczynski, and Kevin Korczynski, Korczynski is arguably Chicago's second-best defenseman right now after Seth Jones. And in New Jersey, you have Simon Nemich getting power play time, yes, but you also have to consider the injury to Dougie Hamilton and the fact that they're also working to break in Luke Hughes into the lineup. And I think in New Jersey... You're really trying to figure out what you have on the back end with those two big blue chippers, the other one being Luke Hughes, although I think we all know that Luke Hughes is a stud. Um, he's been phenomenal and should finish top three in Calder voting, in my opinion. But they are seeing what they have in Simon Nemec, and they are playing him on the power play, and they're letting him make some mistakes here and there. The big thing with Juracek is, one, his skating, his... Straight line skating is really good. His um, first three steps are really good. He can uh, get to a really good high speed. I watched him play a lot in the American Hockey League last year. Um, and he, yes, he does need time on the power play. I understand it. But the the relative expectation for young guys to step into the National Hockey League and command power play time is not always the the greatest look, I will say. Um especially when there is work to be done in your own and as a defenseman. Um, I know a lot of guys are gifted power play time and promised power play time and um, see power play time when maybe they shouldn't. But um, David Juracek still has a way to work up. And I know he, like I said, I, I know he compared himself to Nemec and Korczynski. But a big comparison for me with David Juracek is Simon Edvinson, who is a Detroit Red Wings pick. He was picked six overall the year before. David Juracek, Juracek was the pick in 22. Uh, Evanson was the sixth overall pick in 2021. Um, and he's only gotten 11 games in the NHL over the last two years and only two in the NHL this season. Juracek has 40 total. I mentioned the 36 this year. He played four games last year. Um, and Edvinson is on pace for 43 games. He's having a monster season for Grand Rapids. And they're not the best team in the American Hockey League right now, but they're above 500 and they're still in a playoff chase. So they're playing meaningful hockey. He's on pace for 69 points in or 43 points in 69 games, pardon me, and 71 penalty minutes. And that is the sign of one, a guy who's engaged in the game uh, physically and uh, intelligently, offensively, um, just a really cerebral player, a great skater, arguably better skater than David Juracek. But the the thing, the issue is, and the reason Edvinson hasn't gotten as many games even as David Juracek has in the NHL to this point, is the Red Wings still feel like he has work to do on his defensive game in his own zone. And we know that traditionally the Red Wings are an organization that would rather have a prospect marinate in Grand Rapids with the Griffins than be rushed to the National Hockey League. 
But um, that being said, there is an argument that maybe based on potential even and even the way he's played in the American Hockey League that Simon Evanson does deserve more of a chance in the National Hockey League. You look at the defense of the Detroit Red Wings and you say, are, are some of these guys maybe more high upside than Simon Edmondson? I, I don't think so. But they are taking a patient approach with this kid. And I think it's going to pay off in the long run with the Red Wings. And for Simon Edmondson in general, I think he's going to be a, a top-pairing defenseman, at least a, a top-three defenseman in the National Hockey League. Um, so he he is a... David Juracek just needs some stability. I said it's the fourth time he's been sent down to uh, Cleveland, and Cleveland's a good team. They they have uh, Jack Greaves, who's one of the better goalies in the American Hockey League. Trey Fix Wolanski is having a great season. Um, they have Jay Christensen, who's going to the AHL All Star Game, and they just have good depth in a lot of the rookies that they have and they've drafted in Columbus. Guys like uh, Luca Delbel Blues and James Malatesta. So there's a good team in uh, Cleveland. They're currently leading their division and expect to go on a their top three in the Eastern Conference in um, the AHL, and they expect to go on a long playoff run. And if David Yurichek could get some heavy quality minutes playing 20 minutes a night or more and on a good team, I think that maybe that would be better long-term for his development, trying to get a good playoff run in. Obviously, that stands moot if they uh, lose in the playoffs early, but you never really know how those things go until they play. Um, so I know it's going to be a big talking point this today and this week, but I think it's a good thing for David Yerichek to find himself playing in the American Hockey League for now. I hope he doesn't take a move where he decides maybe it's best for him to go back home and play in the Czech League. I think the American Hockey League, we said, like Nathan said, is the best development hockey league in the world. The NHL is not a development hockey league, a developmental league. You are in the NHL to perform. You have to perform, otherwise there are guys that will. Um, that is how pro sports work. There are only a certain number of jobs, and you have to beat out someone to take a job. So um, it doesn't appear that David Yurichuk has done that quite, quite yet in Columbus, although he's very, very close, I have to admit. And the thing about David Yurichuk, and this is mentioned in the Portsline article, it's a really good article. Go give it a read if you haven't. Um, but the the swagger with David Yurichuk is part of what makes him so good. The fact that he has that the big heavy shot from the point we saw earlier on his first NHL goal against the Rangers. He, um, he can really shoot the puck and is confident with the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. He does make some bad plays in his defensive end, but that is like the, the confidence on the offensive end. A lot of people say the best way to play defense is just to hang onto the puck and play offense. Um, hard to disagree with that a lot of the time, especially in the new age of the national hockey league. Um, so he's going to be a great big bodied defenseman. I'm really um, enticed by the future of him, but maybe he needs to take a bit more of the Simon Edmondson page out of his book. And it's hard, right? You know, you see these guys maybe in your draft class who are getting more of an opportunity to play, and um, you, you maybe question your own development path. But that's exactly what it is, is, is it's your own path, and everybody's path is different, and team situations are different. And Columbus right now has a lot of defensemen on their roster, and maybe they look to move something like that. Um, going forward, but I think right now their their plan is just to give the guys that they have on the NHL roster a run at it and to let Juracek play in Cleveland. Um, what else we got around the league? So USA Hockey approves a rule that uh, starting August 1st, 2024, I just want to get this right, um, all players under the age of 18 will be required to wear net guards. Um, you have to believe this is in the wake of the passing of Adam Johnson earlier this season. 
Um, I think this is a good move. I think this is a no-brainer for USA Hockey. Um, Especially uh, for kids. Like, yeah, yeah. Anybody under the age of 18 should absolutely be forced to wear a neck guard. Um, there's no reason to not. It, um, it, you if can you eliminate make it, these unnecessary injuries, especially for kids. It's it's like the same thing why we got rid of like tackle football for eight-year-olds. It's like we're just trying to let them develop and have fun while still getting better. And then eventually, once they are big enough, strong enough, and developed enough, then they can be playing these more physical sports. Yeah, I think the neck guard thing, too, is um, why, why even risk it? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, if your kid is 8, 10, 12, 14, like, why risk it? There's no there's no need to not wear a neck guard. Um, it, it's important. It, it can save a life. Um, the the A lot of people will say it's too blocky and too much of a it's in your way a lot. And trust me, when I was playing hockey growing up, they were big and bulky and uncomfortable to wear around your neck and but the, the equipment now has also gotten a lot better. The technology has gotten better with a lot of this like cut-resistant fabric that they make. A lot of the undershirts the players wear are now almost like turtlenecks with cut-resistant technology. Um, we've seen a lot of players in the NHL wear that. I know TJ Oshie has his War Road company that makes stuff like this. Um, but it, I think it's a slam-dunk move. And I don't like I said, when this happened with Adam Johnson, we talked about if it would ever happen in the National Hockey League. That's a different situation because your work you're talking about the players association. You you can't just mandate an equipment change like that in the National Hockey League. It needs to be approved by both parties. Um, and I don't know that that ever would just because it's a it's a player thing. You know, like these guys want to be able to wear what they want to wear when, and feel comfortable when they go out there to the best of their abilities. Um, you you've seen a lot more guys in the National Hockey League wearing. Um, Neck protection. We've we talked about Blake Wheeler earlier too. He's been sporting it uh, in recent times. A um, few players on the Winnipeg Jets, obviously, who are friends with Adam Johnson, like Neil, guys like Neil Pionk are um, showing support by wearing neck protection and also just protecting themselves. Man, it's a National Hockey League. It's fast. Skates go everywhere. Skates are really sharp. Skates are sharper than ever. Um, in the age of replaceable blades and always having the freshest, sharpest blades on your feet. It um it, it it's smart and I think we'll we'll start to see it more just like you know everything in hockey right guys used to not wear helmets and then helmets were mandated and before you knew it everybody wears a helmet now and same thing with the visors now so look just, at any evolution of any sport yeah how like look at baseball the gloves used to just literally be like mittens so give it ten years everybody in the NHL will be wearing neck protection of some variety whether it is a full-on neck guard or if it's like i said the 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 shirts that are almost like turtlenecks that have like the kevlar or whatever they have in it i don't know um but i've never had to wear it and i uh probably would though i probably would if i were playing in a hockey game even just in a men's league here in chicago i would uh probably bite the bullet and put on a neck guard just to better safe than sorry um Gary Bettman became the largest, the longest, largest, uh, longest tenured uh, commissioner in the four North American professional sports leagues. Um, so th- I thought that was interesting. A lot of the the teams around the league were giving their congrats to Gary Bettman. Um, a lot of people don't enjoy Gary Bettman's tenure. A lot of people think that his tenure needs to end. We just saw Adam Silver in the NBA, right? That's the commissioner in the NBA. I'm That's not, correct. Yeah. Um, he 
got a contract extension and I don't necessarily know how that works if he gives himself a contract extension or I think it's a board that does but in my mind I just like to imagine that he gave himself the job again yeah um and look I know a lot of people think it's time for Gary Bettman to move on from his position it's been a long time I um quick sidebar here I watched the Alexander Daig um special documentary whatever you want to call it um, that they did. It was called The Chosen One, and it was an NHL production. It was out on, I think Amazon did it, but it was out on ESPN Plus the next day. So I watched that on Saturday. That was a really good thing. It was pretty short, only 40, 45 minutes, and um, talking about how Alexander Daig was the first overall pick by the Ottawa Senators in a draft where Chris Pronger went number two, and Paul Correa was also drafted soon after. And a lot of really good players went, and Alexander Daig was supposed to be this superstar and um, did not end up panning out the way that a lot of people expected. But the the, inter- the interview portion of it was really good and talking about um, how he has found peace in his career and how not everything needs to end up the way that you expect it to or how other people expect it to. A lot of people expected Alexander Daig to have a certain kind of career and a certain kind of life, and he was going to live it his own way. and. I have a certain amount of respect for people who do that. Um, He was still a phenomenal hockey player. He still put it together at the end, and he had a great time over in Europe, which I think is an understated part of hockey. Um, The fact that you can play hockey at a very high level, not in North America, and get paid very well to do it and get paid to travel the world and see the world and experience different cultures. Um, So he went over to Switzerland. It was a very good documentary, but... Long, long-winded way of just saying that there were clips of an of a young Gary Bettman in the NHL offices um, when that whole draft was going on for Alexander Daig because there was a big race for him between the Ottawa Senators and the San Jose Sharks, a race to the last place because that was how the there were there was no lottery. It was if you finished last, you got the pick, and that that whole situation was one of the reasons one we have the NHL draft lottery nowadays, but. Um, Gary Bettman's done a lot for the NHL. I think if you look at it from where he was to where it is today, um, we have a lot of teams in Southern markets that one is the Gretzky effect, but two, Gary Bettman pushing hockey to the Southeast and the Southwest. He did a lot for that. Um, he's been a staunch supporter of Arizona. He's made sure the the Hurricanes stay in Carolina. He brought hockey to Nashville and all of these different places, Vegas, um, And it's just been uh, a very good tenure as commissioner. I know he gets booed, like I said, when he comes out to hand out the Stanley Cup. And um, but it it goes a lot more than that. And the other thing too is the commissioner of a sports league is a very hard position when you think about it in its totality. And people can criticize from afar and sit up on a perch that maybe they haven't really experienced something like that. But to understand the depths of everything that it takes to run a league like the National Hockey League, it is exhausting if you were to even go through it. And the fact that somebody is able to do it is impressive. And the amount of work that Gary Bettman does and continues to do and delegates to other people and the amount of things he oversees and the the way he's pushed the game forward. Obviously, he came from basketball. He came from the NBA. He was working in the NBA. I'm 99% sure, unless I somehow got that mixed up, but I, did, I don't think I did. And um, he's just done a lot for the game, pushing the game forward, scoring is up. There's, like, the, I would argue the, the game of hockey right now is better than it ever has been, and former players will tell you the same thing. Everybody, you know, I know the physicality maybe isn't where a lot of the ex-players would like it to see it be currently, 
but the product on the the ice is very hard to argue that it is the highest level it's ever been. Um, you see, you're seeing NHL players from all over the world, all over the country too. So that's a long term showing of just the kind of impact that Gary Bettman has had on the NHL. And I don't also know that necessarily he's been preparing anybody to take over his job. Um, and I think that that might be a big part in the next transition of things where we'll see um, someone else in the commissioner's chair in the National Hockey League. Um, so I, I think it's going to be some time. I really respect Gary Bettman. And I think he also wants to stick around to seeing how some of these other commissioners are sticking around. Right. The, like I mentioned, the Adam Silver extension. Maybe Gary wants to stick around a little bit longer because of all that. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, there's only one game tonight, uh, Nashville at the senators. Those are two teams that are coming off showings that they might've wanted to do a little bit better than it's kind of a slow burn into the all-star, a slow build, slow burn, whatever you want to call it into the all-star break. We have one game tonight. We have two games tomorrow and then three games on Wednesday. Um, so, so kind of a slow build and then we'll, we'll get a couple days off of hockey. We'll get to see the, the stars of the game and all the personalities of the game conglomerate in Toronto. Um, I would I would have loved to have been there. I wish our uh, company and situation was a little bit further along that we could have uh, taken a taken a, a built in excuse to go out to Toronto and have a fun weekend this weekend. But uh, we'll watch from afar as all the, the the league stars conglomerate and have fun and put their skills to the test on the ice. We'll see what the actual hockey looks like. Um, and other than that, we have a new deep fade recording coming out tomorrow. The F1 guys will be back next week. Um, we will be back tomorrow, 24 hours. We thank you all for joining us. We thank Nathan Shivey for uh, joining us earlier today. We'll we'll get him on again soon. We're going to have some more people on later on in the week. Probably Avery Lewis McDougal. Um, again, he was great too. Um, but thank you again for listening. We appreciate everybody out there. If you're leaving, leave five stars. Um, give us a follow. Give us a rating. Leave a comment. Uh, let us know what you think we should do better if we're terrible. Um, but we thank you again so much. We'll see you in 24 hours. Bye, everyone. Bye.